Hey, welcome to episode 72 of the Gig Life Podcast. I'm your host, Stevie Taylor. Before we kick off my chat with Dane Laboyri, I want to give a quick shout out. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I asked for some help um, with tidying up the Gig Life Podcast logo and some other graphic stuff to make it look a little bit more professional and, and also give me a few different file types and that kind of thing. Um, my graphics uh, knowledge isn't very good. So um, my friend Iwi put me on to the team over at Raptor Signs in Castle Hill. Man, they nailed it, man. Um, as well as graphics, they do design, signage, as well as vehicle wraps and graphics. So big thank you to Aaron and the team at Raptor Signs. That's raptorsigns.com.au. Um, go check them out. Links in the show notes. Okay, episode 72, Dane Labori. Here we go. My guest today is Sydney trumpeter and vocalist Dane Labori. For a young man, Dane already has one heck of a resume. He's played with James Morrison, The Cat Empire, The Pop Bellies, Hugh Jackman, Tim Minchin, Noel Gallagher, Taylor Swift, Five Seconds of Summer and heaps more, as well as theatre productions like Disney's Aladdin, Fiddle on the Roof, Wicked, amongst others. Dane has his own jazz quartet, as well as the horn section, which is made up of some of the most talented and experienced young musicians in Australia. And that has quickly become the go-to for local and international touring artists. In this chat, we talked about his extremely busy 2019. I asked a heaps of trumpet-related questions. And did you know you actually need teeth to play the trumpet? Who knew? Um, Dane also tells some stories about his life and some of the international gigs he's been a part of. As you'll hear, Dane takes everything in his stride and head on. Super chill dude that can turn it up to 11 when he needs to. So, ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for this legendary local blower, Dane Labori. Cheers. Surprise is someone else. You're just a trophy on his shelf. I hate to say I told you so. That I told you so. Long you give it me those eyes. Just like the devil in disguise. Forbidden fruit is never free. All right, I think we're rolling. All right, rolling. Dane Laboury. How you going? Good. Welcome to Gig Life Podcast. Thanks for having me. No worries. I just want to start with um, a post that you put up the start of this year, and it was your 2019. Yep. So here's some fun facts about 2019. So three Aussie New Zealand tours, 240 performances, 19 recording sessions, 46 flights, 37 hotels, God knows how much tequila. God knows how much catering. God knows how many kebabs. <laughs> Bench in his leg. <laughs> yes. Uh, one missed lobby call. Sorry, Greg. One missed flight. Longest day ever. Um, and happy New Year. Mate, that's a hell of a year. It was a massive year. Right. It was, I think, possibly 
the biggest one I've had. Right. And yeah. Probably take some topping too, eh? Oh, yeah. Because I've um, definitely come back to earth since then and yeah. sort of prepared myself for going back to normality, I guess. Yeah. So that last, the last tour that you did was you were playing in Noel Gallagher's band as a support act for you two on the Joshua Tree tour. Correct. Yeah. For, for Australia and New Zealand. For Australia yeah. and New Zealand. That's massive. It was huge. Can, yeah. can I ask how that came, how that comes about? Yeah, so um, basically I got an email from the trombone player from Noel's band mm-hmm. who uh, writes the charts and he's been in it for years, maybe 10, 15 years or something. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of cold emailed me through my website and then basically said, here's what we're doing, are you free? And obviously I thought, oh, yeah, look. Check the diary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. did, I'll, I'll get you, back to you. Did yeah. you know it was with you two at that stage or? Uh, yeah. Oh, I okay. Do. Yeah, yeah, he right. kind of, he laid it all out and yeah. I was like, yeah, you, shit, <laughs> this is huge. Yeah, you clear the diary. Yeah. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah, I'm in Bali sipping on a tequila and something by the pool and I get this email. I'm like, right, okay, snap out of it and had to check all the dates. And obviously it's a tough one because I never... I've never liked cancelling things. Yeah. You know, when I've got things locked in with people and I, I still stand by that, I don't like to cancel things. But obviously when something massive comes up like this, the first thing I do is get in touch with any... And gen- and generally generally those people would understand, yeah? Definitely, yeah. And yeah. I think because I don't cancel don't, many gigs on people, they, yeah, they appreciate that. So mm. I just call everyone up and really honest and go, look, this has come up. It's, it's huge, mm. you know. And every, everyone's always been really, really cool, which thank you, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great, man. Actually, it was pretty funny. Um, one of the corporate covers sort of wedding bands that I work for, the White Tree Band, um, when I told Tuddy who runs that and owns it, um, he goes, oh, man, that's so funny because for like four years we actually had in the contract that, you know, you'll get the musicians you request for your wedding, um, you know, and there was conditions and one of which was, if uh, one of our band members gets asked to tour with you two. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, it used to be in the contract. No way. I said, man, you got to dig it out. That's too funny. <laughs> That's crack up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, no, it was pretty pretty mind-blowing. And so I just sort of made sure that it was going to be cool with everyone and wrote back and said I was good to go. And, mm. yeah, so it was me and Carl Mackey, a sax player from Melbourne, mm-hmm. who I'd never met before. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we got along real quick. That's that, great. That's yeah. cool. We'll talk a little bit more about that tour a bit later. Yeah. Um, did you know you're, you are the first horns or brass instrument player I've had on the podcast? Well, I didn't. And I'd like to apologise for that. Oh, that's all right. Um, Gordo, you and Gordo took up, <laughs> took up all the tape. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I, I posted something up the other day and um, your friend Eamon Dilworth Sent me a message saying, "Oh, I hope you can get some some uh, brass horns guys on there soon." Yeah, he'd be a great one. Actually, to get too. Yeah, 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 that'd be cool. Um, so actually, I'm talking to Dane in a couple of days. So. Yeah, we yeah. always get mistaken for each other. We're like, is that right? Yeah, doppelgangers. He's a good guy to <laughs> to get to depth for me because everyone yeah. thinks we're each other anyway. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Well, let's um, as we do, we roll it back to the beginning and how it all started and yeah. Um, so you were born in Sydney? I was, yeah. I was yep. born in Sutherland, Sutherland mm-hmm. Hospital. Yep. And uh, grew up in the Sutherland Shire where I still live at the moment. Mm-hmm. 
and as I mentioned, sort of looking to get out of there at the moment. Yep. Looking to buy a house so, or apartment. Yep. And, um, yeah. Musical family? No. No one. At all? None. Well, I think my grandma played a little bit of organ or whatever, but nothing nothing serious in the family. Right. Kind of a bolt out of the blue in that regard. Right. And did you start playing uh, trumpet at eight years old? Is that right? Did I read that right? Yeah, about that. About that? It all started with a didgeridoo. Right. And a trip to Cairns. I've got, I've got a didge there. It's over the back there somewhere. Oh, yeah. We might dig it out later. Crack it out later. Oh, yeah. awesome. That'd be cool. <laughs> but, yeah, I was... Um, I would have been in kindergarten and something happened at home where my brother couldn't have a birthday party because mum was pregnant. I had a little sister or something. So my aunties took us, me and my brothers, on this, on a bit of a holiday to Cairns or whatever and we all got some spending money um, to, you know, brothers got normal things, toys and kids stuff and I was like, oh, I know what I want to get because we'd just been to the Daintree markets mm-hmm. and I was frothing on Indigenous culture. We just saw all these you know, um, displays and mm. they're playing didges and I learn all about it. And I was like, oh, I'm getting a didgeridoo, which I, you know, I don't think I had anywhere near enough money for it. But my aunties were like, oh, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I really want it. And they're like, well, you know, you know, it's going to cost a bit more. So you're really, really sure? I was like, yeah, yeah. So they got one for me and one for my granddad um, and flew back and we learned how to play them together when I was in kindy. I kind of took it in for show and tell. Um, could do the circular breathing and everything. And, oh, cool. And um, the school principal ran the band. So I think my kindy teacher went, i got this little blonde kid who can play didgeridoo. So you were doing the circular breathing at, at back at kindy? Yeah, I'd kind of half worked it out. Oh, wow. Yeah, I couldn't do it for very long. But yeah. Right. Yeah. Man, that's cool. Yeah, and then I, and from there the the school principal kind of said, hey, bring your digit along to training band. You know, you obviously just saw that I kind of, had a vibe and so I, I took my digital along and played along with the band mm. and then that turned into just, yeah, go pick up percussion, do whatever you want and right. just kind of make stuff up. My mum was like, what do you mean he plays percussion? He can't read music or anything. And the principal just said, well, sounds good when he does it so I just kind of let him go. He just kind of, he's got time about him. So, yeah, that's where it all kind of started and then mm. developed from there. Obviously I got more and more interested in it and really loved going to band. Like I love that. I remember I really dug the community thing. Like I, yeah. I, it blew my mind that like, oh, wow, all these people get together at one time and do all these random different things and then it just sounds like, sounds awesome. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Mm. So uh, then, uh, yeah, mum and dad sort of looked at piano lessons and things like that. But, yeah. Did you do piano? I did. I uh, had this great, wonderful piano teacher, Heather Mullins, like the sweetest old lady you've ever met, lived around the corner from me and I used to go every week and... I think I, I probably talked for half our lessons, but I loved it mm. <laughs> and just loved hanging out and playing and probably learnt off her till about year seven. Right. Um, but picked up a trumpet in year three when uh, everyone got instruments in the band. Principal sort of handed me one and said, see, see what you can do with this. Right. I don't know if I told, I've told the story, but my first instrument was piano as well. Um, and I had this, there was this old lady at the end of our street, Mrs Gold, and she was the mother of our family lawyer, um, she would have been 80-odd, really bad arthritis in her hands. Might be on her teacher, really toes. bad arthritis. Yeah. But the thing that blew me away, like she, she lived in this, um, there was three houses joined, joined together up this sort of laneway. She was right at the back, this really small house. 
And I swear they must have built that house around her grand piano that was in her lounge room. Yeah, no way to get it in. Like, how, how the <laughs> hell did you get it in? They must have built the house, got a crane, dropped it in and built the roof. <laughs> Seriously. They probably did. <laughs> they then. probably did, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I told that before anyway. That's there, a good story. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, all right, so how long – oh, you did piano up until – probably Yeah, probably about sort of – I really love going. I probably didn't practice enough. Like I, I yeah. dug, I dug playing, and that's the thing. I'd eh? sort of work. It's yeah, hard I'd, work. Man. I'd work some things out. Like I'd hear a song on the radio and try and work it out. Um, but yeah, I didn't practice enough. But I really love. I love the whole playing music thing. <laughs> <laughs> Just didn't want to do the hard, the hard yards. Yeah, but that came. That came later. So when did the horn come along? About year three. So when yeah, the principal gave me the horn, and I joined the training band with everyone else. Right. Um, again, prob- wasn't much of a practicer, if I'm honest, and probably not particularly <laughs> talented in any way at the trumpet. I, was, I wasn't very good. And then I think the next year everyone else went up to the next band and I don't think I was going to move up because I wasn't really cutting it. I think mum sort of spoke to the principal and said, oh, you know, he, he kind of he wants to go with the rest of his mates. What do we need to do? And yep. he said, maybe get some lessons outside of school. Mm-hmm. And this new trumpet teacher, Don Callahan, had just arrived at the school to do private tuition. So I went with him and, like, the one-on-one lessons really worked for me. Um, that's when I, like, just became obsessed and got really into it. And he was great as well and, you know, started wanting to practice and wanting to know everything about trumpet and obsessed right. with James Morrison and got my own trumpet and then it was all, mm. the rest was his, like, once that kind of bit was all over. Mm. Was there any... One else but James Morrison that was inspiring you, influences? Like were you like Miles at that stage or No, not at that. No, probably just Marcellus. Um who else? Dizzy Gillespie. No, Did you want that yet. blowing up cheek? You know, like Dizzy Gillespie. No, it was more I think <laughs> it was just it was James in primary school. And okay. then and then once I got to high school, you know, my ears opened and there was another very, very influential uh, couples teachers who I met. In high school, a lot of a lot of luck in my story. Yeah, right. I feel like I That's cool. had a lot of really very fortunate experiences and people who I crossed to led to me being able to do this. Yeah, that's very cool. fortunate. Yeah, that's cool. When did you? Was, sorry, when you said you were obsessed with James Moore, had you met him at that stage? No. I, okay, you no, just so I just knew saw of him. You heard, you heard him. Yeah, you heard him, him play. And yeah, my, I think my trumpet teacher at the time showed me a few videos or things and. You know. But you, you've ended up playing with them, eh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a couple of times, yeah. That's awesome. How was that? Uh, pretty pretty funny. Um, the first time I think it was a bit of a mess with my head a bit. I was like, oh, wow, because <laughs> that was the first time in high school. I think I was in year seven. It was one of those moments you never forget, you know. It's like a, one of those life-changing moments I remember in full detail. And then the next time I was like, well, this is pretty cool because I remember having – the thought process in year seven or whenever it was of going like, oh, man, I really want to do this one day. Like it would be so good to just imagine getting to play with this guy yeah. every day. That would be amazing. Yeah. And so when it finally happens, you're like, oh, full circle, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a head, head fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, when did the contemporary aspect of trumpet playing come, come into it? Because you're pretty known for that now, I yeah. think. Yeah. You sort of you've def, you definitely play trumpet in the mainstream and especially with the acts that you play for and you know that the the club DJ thing like 
Everything. That's cool. The pot <laughs> bellies type stuff. When did you start seeing a trumpet as an instrument that you could start doing that kind of stuff? Well, I think so. High school, um, that was a big thing. My local high school wasn't really that musical. And obviously, by the end of year six, I had this passion. And my parents were always really supportive of me and all my siblings, actually. We've got two older brothers and a younger sister, and we all do really different things, but everyone is like loves what they do and oh, great. is really good at it, sort of thing. But so, you're the only musician? Yeah. Yep. And um, so I went to this high school out of area because it had this incredible music program, went to a music night and was just sitting there on the edge of my seat like, whoa, that's the first time I've ever heard a big band and they were playing this Cuban salsa music, yeah, right? right. <laughs> I was sitting there in the hall going, this is where I want to be. I want to go to this place and I want to do that. And at that point I don't, I don't think I, I kind of forgot it was a school, you know. <laughs> I was right. just like, I want to do that, that's sick. Want to go to that party. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> and so I did. I got to. I went to Kirawee High School um, where some incredible – Musicians have come out of for the likes of Emma Pasch and Eva Manel, mm-hmm. um, many others. Uh, and the music director there was another one of these special people that I've come across who just was just exceptional at his job and and really giving and such a great influence on all his students, you know. Mm. And I remember I got there and did all the normal junior bands and stuff and went home to mum and she's like, oh, how's school? Yeah, good. And I knew about this James Morrison concert coming up, right? I'm very aware. And I remember I said to mum, oh, it's all good, you know. I really want to be in the, I really want to be in the top band, you know. I want, I want to be, I want to play for James. <laughs> and she was like, oh, well, you know, you might have to wait your time. And I was like, oh, I really, I really want to be in the, I want to be in that one, you know. They're playing all this cool Cuban stuff. Like, I want to do that. And she gave some of the best advice. She said, oh, well, just, just practice really hard and keep practicing as much as you can and hopefully maybe someone will notice and you never know, you know. And so I did. I, at like recess and lunch, I'd go and practice in the music room and I'd like downloaded some James Morrison songs <laughs> off, <laughs> off Google or whatever and I was trying to, trying to learn the crap out of them. And the music teacher heard me practicing at recess one day and came and it was like, hey, who are you? <laughs> like, oh, I'm, I'm Dane, nice to meet you. He's like, cool. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, just practicing, practicing some James Morrison. He's like, I can see that. <laughs> and then uh, he went, well, nice to meet you. Nothing much of it. And then a few days later, he bumped into me in the playground. He goes, hey, you want to come along to uh, Monday band practice, the senior, senior stage band? I thought, oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. So I just went along and sat on fourth trumpet and probably missed more notes than I played. And um, I think he was just sussing out, you know, <laughs> whether or not I'd fit in. And then after about a month of going to those rehearsals, he said, how would you feel about doing the James Morrison concert with us? I was like, oh, man, I'll check my diary. <laughs> I was like, man, that would be incredible. And, uh, and he goes, how would you feel about doing a solo with him up the front? And I was like, oh, yeah, I've always been like a go get him, like whatever, all or nothing kind of thing. Yeah, so awesome. That didn't sound scary to me. That was like, yeah, let's do it. That sounds sick. That's awesome. <laughs> so... Yeah, that all happened and that was obviously when I played with James for the first time and went out the front in year seven and, yeah, it's kind of funny. Like I remember everything about it but nothing at all as well. It's one of those right. moments where you're like, yep. it just kind of happens and then you're back in your seat up the back and you're not really <laughs> sure how you got there. <laughs> yeah. It was mental. But, yeah, that's when that started and, and that music teacher, Anthony, um, 
I think he instilled that thing of like we're playing Cuban music and big band and Count Basie and Sinatra and we're doing covers like Little River Band, like playing all this different and right. he'd give me all kinds of stuff. He'd, I'd walk past his office and be like, oh, Dano, here, take these home. And there'd be like Chet Baker and Dizzy Gillespie and then like a Louis CD and then this great big band album, Michelle Camillo, like just mm. such a range. Yeah. And it was all, you know, I'd find all these I'd find my favourite bits on every album, you know. Mm. So I think that's where that started. I've always been just into all music. Yeah, yeah. I've never just yep. like, oh, I just want to do jazz. Like, yeah, well, that, that, I think that just shows with the, yeah. the different stuff, the variety of stuff that you do. Like yeah. you said before, it's all just a big party to me. I, yeah. I, want, I, want to get on, I just want to get on it. It's that's like, wicked, man. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's great. Yeah, that's really cool. Mm. Um, did you, you finish high school? I did. I, yep. I stayed an extra year. Okay. Yeah, I did uh, a thing called Pathways. So okay. I was doing a lot of, like a lot of playing at that time. I think outside of school I was doing three brass bands, a concert band, and then in school the two big bands, <laughs> a oh, concert really? band, wind orchestra, so like a lot of playing um, and loving it. But I got further into school and I had to start dropping a few things because it was getting a bit intense. Mm. But in year 12... Um, an older trumpet player was like I was doing these sort of Latin gigs during the week at Bankstown RSL till 1am mm. and falling mm. asleep in class and stuff. So I made a decision that I, re I really wanted to go to the conservatorium to study jazz at this point. Mm -hmm. And I decided I would prefer to stay an extra year at school and, and keep doing all the music because that's what I wanted to do and, mm. and I wanted to be as good at it as possible and just do more of it. Like I said, it's just a big party. I want yeah. to do as much of it as possible and then... Um, but also aware that I needed certain marks and grades and whatnot to get into Sydney University. So mm -hmm. I made that decision. Plus school was, I mean, Kiriwi was, was a bit of a party, hanging out with that music teacher and in those bands. And, like, I went to Cuba twice <laughs> while oh, I was at that man. school playing salsa music. Who does that? Ugh. Who gets to do that? What high school teacher convinces yeah, yeah. the government's a good idea to take it? It's amazing. What high school teacher convinces your parents to let you I go know. to Cuba? What? Well, I made them come the second oh, time. Oh, did you? Yeah, I said, you guys got to come. They, That's awesome. Yeah, they hadn't been on a lot of holidays, probably all spent on my music tuition. Oh, the rest great. Of it, so I said, you got to come. It's like another world. So they came along. It was amazing. Right. Mm. All right. So you get into the con? Yep. Um, yeah, audition for the con. Yep. Um, How'd you go in the audition? Uh, Do you remember what it was? I've asked, I've asked drummers and guitarists how. I think how I played something really up. typical. Yep. Like maybe like autumn leaves or something like that. Right. I was a, probably important to note. I was always an ear player. Okay. So I never. I didn't, you know, I did a lot of solos and improvising through school, but I never really knew what I was doing, but kind of heard enough to get by. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, the con was the start of sort of filling in that void, I guess, to some degree. Uh, but yeah, the interview was, I, th I think it was Judy Bailey, Craig Scott was there, and I can't remember who the, who the other person was. Might have been Mike, no, it wouldn't be. Oh, maybe Bill Motzing, like great Bill Motzing. Um, but, yeah, Judy, I knew Judy already, so there was a bit of edge taken off because I played in her big band. Okay. Which was um, every Saturday in Linfield. It was like a youth big band that was kind of half 
mostly uni guys and then a few young younger high school guys like myself and Canales and a few other young dudes. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I've, I felt pretty comfortable with her there, but also she's like the most lovely, beautiful, but also the most terrifying woman in the, in the world. If <laughs> yeah, you right. know she's like Jazz Yoda. <laughs> yeah. Jazz Yoda. Seriously. <laughs> so, yeah, that was cool. And just did the audition, um, obviously got in, and that was the start of the next whole chapter, which is another pretty special time. Okay, let's talk about that. Yeah. Mm. Um, the con. Uh, yeah, the con, the con was sort of... I think that's where I really formed, firstly formed a lot of the connections with the music community that I was going to end up playing with. Who was there at the time? Uh, so you got Noel Mason, Paul Mason, uh, Lucy Clifford, um, Matt Collins, other trumpet players. Oh, there's a lot. How many? There's 25 in the year. And then even more in the grade. Tim Geldens. Yeah, that's a hard question because there's so yeah. many guys. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I'm being overwhelmed with names now. Yeah, right. But yeah, a ton of ton of heavy heavy cats. Mm-hmm. Harry Sutherland. Mm-hmm. Actually, he might have been year below. But yeah, lots of real like that big band was Smoke and mm. the one for a couple maybe the two middle years that I was there it was really really swinging like mm-hmm. like I've never played big band music that that good before. I don't think. Yeah, right. There's been a lot of good ones, but that was particularly. Kicking ass, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, were you gigging? Yeah, quite a lot. Mm-hmm. So um, just bits and pieces of things. I was in like this covers band that used to do Rudy Hill RSL sort of once a month on a Saturday till mm-hmm. God knows when. And um, I also, yeah, not so much the first year, but then after that I put together my own little jazz trio with Paul and Noel Mason. Mm-hmm. Um and we got this residency at a comedy club on Park Street called the Laugh Garage. It was four nights a week, which is like sounded like the dream gig. Mm. It's fuck all money. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was like I think we were getting maybe seventy five bucks each and dinner and drinks. But again, right. it was pretty good. Hang like playing jazz standards mm. and a few cheesy covers mm. and just hanging out on like it was Wednesday to Saturday, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that was a good little regular gig sort of nutting things out I think that worked nicely with the with the course for me anyway like yep just understanding a bit more um about the genre from where I was at of a point of like having no fucking idea really yeah, yeah right. <laughs> only just what I heard like oh I'd just been winging it basically yeah um but then yeah second year I f- I'm pretty sure it was second year um I started getting Trump oh I was learning off Simon Sweeney great lead session trumpet player in Sydney and mm-hmm. I think he still teaches at the con. And really I think those lessons really kicked it up a notch for where I was at with my own technical playing and and all that sort of stuff, you know, really honed, helped me hone in and helped me understand, you know, what to work on, how to work on it and just mm-hmm. really taking care of business and mm-hmm. also the professional side of things of, you know, the business. The business, yeah. Yeah. Um, but he got me... He sort of asked if I'd be interested in doing this theatre show chorus line on Third Trumpet. And that was like another one of those like, well, yeah, check the diary. (laughs) (laughs) Another awesome experience in the orchestra. And I ended up doing that and that was just like another another genre, another foot in that door. And again, like I love 
I love that vibe as well. There was never yeah. any, I never didn't enjoy any of these things that I was doing. It wasn't, nothing was ever a task. Yeah. Like I, I still love playing musical theatre and just the whole vibe, like the part that it plays in this show. I think even that, like the first thing I thought in primary school, like, oh, look at all these people just doing random shit together and it makes this awesome thing. Yeah. I think I like that about theatre too. You know, you're right. just sitting in the pit doing your thing and if you take the music away, it's, it's a bit shit. <laughs> yeah, right. And you forget there's 20 people sitting down there playing instruments together. Yeah, wow. Underscoring the whole thing. So mm. that kind of kick-started the theatre thing and then on from that on flowed probably like one theatre show every year for about four years. And how long did those theatre shows run for typically? I think that one was about ten weeks maybe. Okay. And then the next one was a, like a smaller producer, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and I think maybe some of the older guys weren't that keen on doing it because it was a shorter run and maybe a bit cheaper, whatever. Um, but I ended up doing that with Matt Collins and the rest of the orchestra, obviously. But that really helped hone my skills too, I think, in that sense because you're on your own. Mm. There was like my teacher wasn't there next to me or anything like that. I was like, shit, you know, you'll take, again, take care of business. Um, and then from that I got asked to do Wicked, which was another huge moment, and it was just me on they cut the second trumpet. It was just me on that one, and yeah, that was another like growing because that that was a bit longer. I think that was maybe how long was that? Maybe nine months or something. Right, that was quite a stint. These are not the the like community theatre shows. We're talking about yeah, no, yeah, professional the, theatre. The professional theatre, yeah, yeah. So this yep. was. A, the Capital Theatre. Yep, yeah, yep. And, yep. And then, yeah, there was a few others when that went, I think in that community and that scene, like when you're kind of in there, it's all pretty close and you're in yep. there and, you know, that led on to Anything Goes and Aladdin and a few other things. Cool. And then I've had probably, I haven't done one for a couple of years, but I just got an email yesterday about a new one coming up. So oh, fantastic. Just checking dates. Good stuff. Yeah. Clear the diary again. Maybe? Yeah, yeah, for this maybe, one? yeah, yeah awesome. I think so. Yeah. Hopefully, you not could you could tell me learning. you tell me about it when we stop recording. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah no, no. <clears throat> okay, now when um, was your first um, gig with someone of sort of great note? Because you've done you've done a lot of stuff. Okay, no, hang on. Let me ask. Because you played trumpet with Cat Empire. Yeah. Were you part of the band or were you? No. Okay. So that was a competition uh, oh. on YouTube that they held where you had to upload a video of you playing one of their songs. Right. And then whoever won got to get up and play with them at the Metro Theatre in front of a sold-out crowd. Right. And so I just like, you know, I was frothing on the Cat Empire. I think I was in year 10, so I would have been 16. Okay. Um, and I just uploaded my video and... I don't know, like I won the competition and then got to go and play and I got there and we did a few rehearsals or whatever. And then Harry was like, oh, man, it sounds good. You should start How to Explain. You know, the big, that song with the big trumpet solo at the start. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, no. (laughs) You sure? Like (laughs) I knew I could play it, obviously. I played it a million times. I loved the song, but I was just like, are you sure, man? Like... (laughs) That's like the, it's the best song on the 
the album. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, so I did a big like open trumpet solo at the start and that was another one of those moments where, especially I think because I was a kid and everyone knew what was going on at the competition or whatever, as soon as I started playing, I just remember the roar, like yeah. the crowd was so supportive. I was just like, whoa. <laughs> That's just awesome. whacked in your body with adrenaline. You just, yeah, I think that, I was like 30 centimetres off the ground. That's awesome. <laughs> it was one of the best concerts I've seen would have been Cat Empire at the Enmore. Um, would have been like 15 years 11, ago. 12 years Ten, ago, maybe yeah. more. Um, yeah, before we, before we had kids. Yeah. And I just, because my wife was into and quite into Cat Empire at the stage and I'd heard it get played around the house and, and it was her birthday, so... We went to this concert and I just thought it was fantastic. Actually, I everyone was up dancing and oh. like we were up in the up in the tears, yeah, whatever you call it, the up, up 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 the top. It was great, man. Loved it. They put yeah. on a serious show. Those Wicked. guys, yeah, and it's all, different every time. You yeah, know, it's right. Not like they don't just play the CD. Yeah, yeah. It's like actually Ross, one of the trumpet players, who I'm really good friends with. He's actually been responsible for a few of the recommendations behind some of these bigger gigs. Oh, okay. Where, like I think he sort of. Put in a good word for me. Right. He's helped out a lot, I think, in that regard. So thanks, Ross. <laughs> cool. Wicked. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go back to my earlier question before I um, mentioned the Cat Empire. So when was that? That was 06. Yep. Yeah, 2006. Had you done anything else apart from? I don't think so. No, that would have been like the first really big outside of school thing, you know, yeah, other right. than that James Morrison thing, which yep. ended up happening every year. But yeah, I think that was massive, other, you know, other than community events you play out with right. things. And yep. Yeah, that was definitely it. All right, so when did you start getting calls for other stuff? I reckon like big, like bigger things. As I said, it's been really random. So the next, okay. the next biggest one, I think on that, like on a big level like that was probably Taylor Swift. Yeah. That and that's still probably the biggest like single concert I've done. That was I think that was eighty thousand, right? Yeah, about eighty thousand. ANZ. Yep, that was at at Homebush. Yeah, ANZ Stadium. ANZ Stadium. Yeah, and um, that one. Yeah, I booked the I booked the rest of the horns for that too. Right. So that was a serious learning experience in in the business too. Right. Of you know the different tier. Oh man, like you got <laughs> you're dealing with. The management of Taylor Swift and I was like, what, 20, 25 or something, 24, like, okay, I don't want to be taken advantage of and I don't want to undercut anyone. And so I did my research and called it. I was like, called around all the people I know that play with, like, people. <laughs> so I called, like, Daryl Beaton, Kevin Mendoza, who do, like, Jess Malboy, and I'm yep. calling all these sort of big MDs going, hey, I've been, I've been, been given, got this call and... um. But, yeah, that was just being involved in the process of actually booking something like that. Mm. Um, you know, who do I get? Because, you, <laughs> you know, everyone wants to be on that gig, right? Yeah. And I have lots of people to thank for that gig too. I think there was a few recommendations from from some people for that one too. And mm. that, that helps a lot, I think. Um, yeah, and I've never gotten, like, these things haven't just come off my own back. Yep. There's always been, you know, people putting in a good word, which is... Mm. I'm very thankful for. Mm. Um, yeah, that was huge. And that actually that was so big because I'd never even 
been in a stadium that big before. Oh, right, not even to watch a game Nothing, or something? Or... Not that big, no. Yeah, right. No, so I didn't even know what it was like to be around 80,000 people, let alone 80,000 people screaming at the top of their lungs. That's the first thing I remember when we walked, we kind of, because we played at the end or toward the end, mm. and we walked out into the stadium just to like watch a bit and it was deafening. I've never right. heard anything like it. Blew, right. my, blew my mind. I was just looked around and it's the scale of it is just, I, I couldn't even comprehend it because I'd never, right. like you said, I hadn't been to the footy or anything like that right. in a venue like that. So I was just looking at it going, what the fuck? <laughs> like yeah, right. Took me a minute. But also, I don't know, I was just on this level of taking it all in. Like yeah. I knew it was going to go real quick and I knew it wasn't going to last very long. So I was just like taking everything in. Mm. It was incredible. Yeah, that's yeah. massive. That was huge. Did you get to meet, did, did you get to rehearse? Uh, yeah, yeah. So with, with her and the band? Not with her, no, uh, just okay. with the, mainly just with the music, musical director okay. just running the arrangements and they, you know, they're changing and stuff. And yep. then uh, and then just sound check, do a few sound checks and, uh, yeah, it's gig time. <laughs> Wicked. Yeah. How do you come down from that? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you how I came down from that. Uh, <laughs> that gig was on a Friday, a Friday, and then, you know, we went for some, I mean, the horn section went for some celebratory beers or whatever. And then the Saturday I had a sleep in, packed my PA into my car. I drove to Rose Bay and got to Dunbar House, this wedding venue, where they have super, super strict noise conditions <laughs> because lots of rich wankers live there. And... Uh, and then the lift was busted. <laughs> I got I got my whole pee out of the car. I got my big QSC subs, and, <laughs> and I remember they're like, "Oh, sorry, mate, the lift's broken. You're gonna have to use the stairs." <laughs> <laughs> I remember grabbing my sub, and no one was there to help me. I'm carrying it up the stairs, thinking to myself, "Like, man." You don't know who I thought I was yesterday. Like, this is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Someone should be carrying this. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Where's the guy? Where are my people? Where are my people? <laughs> oh, but that came and then uh, and then there was some manager on my back all night about the trumpet being too loud and I was right. just thinking like, oh, well, that was, that was nice while it lasted. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so Sydney though. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I don't think you're allowed to, you're not allowed to acoustic instruments at that venue anymore. You can't play trumpets or live drums. Right. Got, to, got to go through the house system. Man. Shit house. So many rich people hate music, eh? Yeah, it's not, it's not good, <laughs> eh? Yeah. Um, I know you've been pretty vocal on the whole lockout laws thing and mm. your, um, <laughs> the song song and video you did is great. Yeah, thanks, man. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can check that out. Yeah. Um, now that the lockout laws have lifted somewhat, yeah. what's your take on things now? I think it's a really good first step and yep. like I remain positive that it can change but I think it's going to take take a bit of time. Oh yeah. I just think it was left for so long that yeah, I don't I don't think it takes long for a culture to change, you know, and it's and it changes relating to what the environment's like at the time. You know, like so if there's if people are stop going out to the city because it's you know, nothing's open and it's too much of a hassle. I think now people are probably hanging a bit closer to home. Like there's, there is 75% less foot traffic in the cross, you know. So right. I think people change their habits and do different things, stay and watch Netflix or go mm. to the local pub. Or, yep. So I think it's going to take 
take a bit of time to shift that, just those habits which have changed over the years of like, oh, no, it's too expensive and there's not much point and you can only go to the casino, you know. Mm. But I remain positive and actually last night there was this incredible gig at uh, Lazy Bones for Bushfire Benefit. Yep. 75 of like Sydney's best, most talented musicians all donating their time to raise money for this thing. Yep. And I think I got there at 6.30 and was there at about 12.30, some of the greatest music I've heard in mm. <laughs> in ages. Yep. And it just, it's a nice thing to just reminds you how much incredible stuff's going on but also makes you feel like, oh, man, we need to get back to this, you know. Like yep. Daryl Beat and the D1 cartel were playing. Yep. Uh, it just took me back to like whatever year it was when they had a residency at the Civic and you'd go yep. in and it's like sweaty jam-packed yep. of Brazilian backpackers and musos yeah. and like randos in suits and everyone's just having a great time and dancing and mm. and the Mac, remember the Mac? Yeah, man. Yeah, like all those venues where I feel like that's that's the important stuff we've lost that really helped the community bond because in Sydney like, it's hard hard to get around and people live far out or whatever. So yep. I think it's important to have those places where people finish their gigs and all end up at the same place just, yep. you know, having a wind down and chilling out and getting up and jamming with each other. And yeah. I think we miss that. I'm, I'm, I miss that. Mm. I miss that a lot, That just those spaces, those sort of. There's six, still a couple of them, isn't there? Like Yeah, don't get me wrong. Like Rabbit Rascals and... Um, Frankie's and yeah, and even like five, obviously five oh five up yeah. until recently, like Cam and and you know, there's so many venues that have pushed through so much shit to to stay afloat, and like mm. massive props to them. I'm not getting down on them at all. Yeah, I think it's incredible, you know, to not just <laughs> give up against literally all odds. You yeah. know, even Opera Bar, like sometimes people get a bit down on the conditions because you've got to play quiet or whatever. But mm. I think it's incredible that they've even kept live music going there against all odds, like I said, like when it gets to such a ridiculous point of just over-enforcement, to be able to go, no, this is something we really want to do and we really want to support it. Mm. I think it's so it's great that people have done that, otherwise we'd be in serious trouble. Mm. <laughs> so, But I think, it'll, I think it'll bounce back. It'll just take a minute. Mm. Well, hopefully we just need to change attitudes like and do what Melbourne did. You know, if you move next to a venue that's done music for 50 years, like... Piss off <laughs> if you don't yeah, like that's it. Okay. Move somewhere else or get yeah. the whole glazing. It's kind of on you, isn't it? Mm. Common sense. You don't do it with anything else. It's like moving next to the airport and saying, "Oh, you got to stop the planes now." Yep, ridiculous. Too noisy. Mm. <laughs> anyway, but yeah. I, I think it'll bounce back. And on the on the flip side, it's uh, I've seen a shift in like what's been happening in the local scene. I think there's a lot more people sort of work in their home studios and like making really good music and yep. you know shedding and getting together and jamming and mm-hmm. it hasn't destroyed anything it's just a bit harder to find at the minute mm. yeah so yeah that's my take on that yeah that's cool i'd love to know where mike baird is he disappeared real quick I haven't didn't heard he? anything from him he went back to the bank didn't he yeah the most corrupt one i think mm. funny mm. anyway <laughs> Maybe there's another song coming. Don't yeah. Maybe. Hey, we reckon. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> That's a great video, man. Yeah, um, that, that was born from a very, very deep place of just frustration. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, anyone who knows me, I can, I can be a little bit political at times, but that was just like, man, it was having a serious impact because, as you said, I do these DJ gigs and stuff, so I'd done my degree at the con and was getting gigs and trying to be a professional musician, make a living from it. That's what I wanted to do. And so 
you know, I lost a lot of gigs and yeah, a, lot right. of, a lot of income. Like it gets to the point where it's like, you know, you're not stopping people from partying. This is my life. Like this is my job. This pays my bills and it's government enforced. Like there's no other area where, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Where the government says, no, you, you can't surf anymore. It's too dangerous. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but it's all good. I've ad- you, you adapt and change and I think today. it's another thing that's that I've had to do. You just kind of go, oh, well, can't do that thing anymore but mm. find another thing that I can do. Which you have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah. 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 That's something I've always, I've always wanted to do every, do lots of everything anyway. Mm-hmm. Some, some cats don't want to, you know, they don't want to do the nightclub thing or mm-hmm. they're not into that. That's cool. Mm-hmm. But I've always just wanted to make a living, making music, making people happy, making people dance, mm-hmm. getting on the party. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, now you've put together the horn section. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. So to be completely honest, that was born as a result of probably that Taylor Swift gig Okay. more than anything because that was a section I was playing with almost weekly at the Monday Jam, which... Mm-hmm. At that time was at Ginger's on Oxford Street and mm-hmm. run by Danny Danny G and Paul and Noel and Marcello and all these Nick Jeffries. And uh, we were kind of like the unofficial house band horns, like we'd rock up every week and play play horn lines to whatever was happening and make up horn lines on the fly. So we got really got pretty pretty tight knit together mm. and it was a good good section. And so when that gig came up, that was like they were the people I was playing with all the time and you know, we had a really nice organic vibe together and mm-hmm. it was really tight. So I put them on the gig, but before before I organised it all, I thought we should make, uh, we need to make ourselves look like a real thing <laughs> because we weren't a real thing. We were just a bunch of dudes jamming. So yep. I, I quickly like just came up with a throwaway name and built a really simple website. And put it's it an on. original name, man. Yeah, the horn section. Well, you know, no one else owns it. No one else owns <laughs> it. Unbelievable, eh? No, no, no. <laughs> I kind of thought, what's so simple that no one else would have thought of it? And if someone's going to Google the horn section, you know, like I need a horn section in Sydney. Yeah, but um, I basically just made that whole thing of branding so that when they said who's the section, I can I could send it off and it looked like a real thing. It wasn't just like a couple iPhone selfies or something. Gotcha. Yeah, so that's why that happened and. Yeah, kind of just lives in its own entity yeah. now. I think websites are still important, eh? Yeah, I think so. Um, that's probably that's a prob- really stupid thing to say. Cause, no, but, but I know what you mean. <laughs> what I, I mean by that is, um, like artist musos, have artist them, music, yeah, and yeah. and I find with my podcast too, I um, try and point everything to the website. Yeah, all the episodes are there. All the links to all the different um, episodes, you know. Mm. All the different types of apps you can listen to the podcast, and it's just all in that one. So it's just easy to do it that way. And you can see it all, and it looks looks professional. I think you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, I, I think just about every one of those big gigs has come through my website mail interface. Yep. Which, and I think that's important too. Like for something like that, first thing someone's going to do is Google you. Yep. To make sure you're not. I don't know, Darrow or like, you know. What I mean? Yeah, gonna, yeah. And if the first thing that pops up is a Facebook profile, they're going to go, ah. Yeah. Hey, they're going to want to look for something a little bit more professional, eh? Yeah. Or, mm. or at least they want to see, you know, they want to see that you're active, I think. Or, you know, if you can't find someone, they're going to 
be a bit maybe a bit concerned if there's not one video of you playing or one song of you playing. Or, yep. Yep. But like I think the bio helps too. Like having done a few bigger things now, you know, the bio helps I think full circle that situation as well because totally. then if someone else is looking, they read it and they go, oh, yeah, he's done this and this and this. and. But uh, it's also nice to see info on the individual members too. I, I think yeah. it's really cool. Yeah, the, oh, the horn section. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're legends. Mm. Jimmy Garden's gone back to uh, New Zealand though. Mm-hmm. Back to the motherland. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did have, have a fair bit here to ask about the actual trumpet itself. Yeah, go nuts. Um, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who probably has questions regarding trumpet and it's not the first instrument people think of when they think of pop music or rock and roll. And, yep. um, is there a, was there a specific trumpet album, like a cornerstone album yeah. f- for you? I think there's been a few, there's been a few moments like like transitional moments that led to overall sort of ch- checking of checking out of things. I think like in primary school, that first James Morrison album blew, okay. my, blew my mind because I was a kid playing trumpet. And I was like, "What? You can't do those things on this." I've tried, I can't do it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that blew my mind and kind of opened my ears as a young boy who grew up listening to Triple M and Johnny Farnham and you know, yep. like rock and roll. Um, and then high school, obviously. Like, I've always really probably been more inclined to, and this is such a personal thing, but like things that really make me feel something or really feel good, like Basie Live at the Sands with Frank Sinatra just mm-hmm. like swings so hard. That makes me f- froth. Like I yeah, love, right, I love like, that album. Yep. Um, or, but then I went, I went through like a massive and still, still love it. But like, I remember my granddad used to buy me like all these Louis CDs. I didn't really get it when I was younger, when I was 16, kind of yep. crappy recording quality. You just uh, couldn't really get into it. But a little bit later, maybe 18, I found a drawer full of them and Best of Louis and I put it on and like sat and really listened and was like, oh, shit, <laughs> this is like real deal. Yep. And so I really got into like a big Louis binge. Yeah, because Louis, Louis was, he was the man, eh? Oh, king. Yeah. yeah. Pops, man. He's... Yeah, he's he's the man, but he's he's one of those people that really makes me feel something. You know what I mean? Depending on what the song is, and it's just like so real and raw, and mm. so much emotion. And Chet Baker, I always really dug Chet Baker too. Um, went through a big Miles binge for a while. So yeah, definitely always personally been more into like I guess the melodic sort of less complex side of jazz, mm-hmm. like a. I, lo- I love bebop and, you know, I think it's incredible, but probably, yeah, a bit more of a smooth cat. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> I guess, you know. Gotcha. Yeah, like I said, Chet and Louie and yep. back to the basics sort of stuff. Yep. Maybe because I can't play bebop very well. <laughs> now, from a, from a physical point of view, technique point of view, is there something, anything you have to particularly maintain – because I, I don't know how to blow a trumpet. I can kind of <laughs> blow a didge. Yeah. Um, does fitness play a, play a big part? Does your is it in your lungs? Is it in your cheeks? It's all, it's all about air. I don't know. Yeah, about no, fitness. Yeah. It probably does. You know, like I, I, 
yeah, probably, I'm sure it must because it's all about it. That's not a dumb question though, was it? No, it's not. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm just asking it from somebody who doesn't play trumpet. The fitness question's interesting because I'm like, oh, I've never really thought about it. But I mean, it it must. Like if you you smoke a pack of cigarettes every day and play the trumpet, you're probably not going to have a good as of a time as if you don't. Mm. Um, But Miles was pretty loose though, wasn't he? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but I don't know if he's, did he smoke cigarettes? Let me Google that. You keep talking. Yeah. I'm going to Google. I'm sure he did. I'm going to Google it. He's on. He's like crack. I'm sure he's. Oh yeah, he was a, Yep. He. Well, fuck it. Did. Um. Yeah. I think. Uh, to be completely honest, I've, I've always been fairly lucky, in that, once I got really into the trumpet, it's always come quite naturally, um, in terms of maintenance and. I don't know, like staying on top of the horn without sounding like a wanker. Do you know what I mean? It's just I the, I know I've, I've never. I know that I know that some people have to work really hard at some things. Say like a range, for example. Like some people have to work much harder to get high range on the trumpet and play and play high. Whereas I kind of picked that up in high school pretty easily. Um, and I don't know if that that could also just come from the fact that I was playing so much all the time. You know. Um, because that's another thing I've always had naturally quite a lot of stamina. Like I don't tend to burn out on the trumpet um, and I, I can't really put that down to anything if I'm honest. I, you know, I'm not going to pretend like I've, I do five hours of practice I, I a day gotcha. or anything, you know, so it's just it's always been like that and I can pretty much play forever, you know. Like, yeah, right. I think I said the longest gig in the world that was, I did like. 26-hour day or something. Yeah, <laughs> I think I played maybe like fifteen of those hours or something. Jeez, it's massive. Yeah, I did. I did do the math. It was something crazy. Miles did smoke. I bet he did. Despite his anemia, um, and I think it's common knowledge that he was a heroin addict. Yes. And he stopped using heroin before his comeback, which landed him a recording contract. Yeah, I think that's around mm. where he started painting. And yeah, shit. right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Oh, well, he was pretty good at the trumpet. Maybe I should take up smoking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I mentioned earlier about Dizzy Gillespie's cheek. Yeah, i got a photo of Diz on the wall. That, yeah, right. Like, that I'll show you after. Is it both sides? Oh, in this photo it is. He, oh, oh, right. Yeah, he looks like a bullfrog. That's it, eh? It was gifted to me from a cousin in... Florida, it's just taken from this uh, big jazz festival over there. It's an original. Right. And he, he kind of brought it over and I was like, oh, heavy. It's like a proper original photo oh, massive. of Diz, yeah. And his cheeks are like, <laughs> big bullfrog. And it yeah. looks like, you look at it and you don't, it doesn't make sense. You yeah. <laughs> like, he doesn't look human. It's almost like a caricature. I'll put a link to a photo in the show notes, people. So look for, yeah. if you don't know what Dizzy Gillespie's uh, cheeks look like. You just blew, it, he just it blew them out. out. Just blew them out. Yeah, right. Playing so much because know. when he when he wasn't blowing, you just looked normal, eh? Yeah, it's a normal face. And then I believe it's all the uh, like the tendons and muscles are actually torn, like stretched from overuse. Oh wow! So I think it's I guess like they just let go. Yeah, like almost. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but. Yeah. Not ripped off the bone, but they're all so I, I stretched. That, yeah. Like like someone who's been really overweight and loses lots of weight, you know, it's like you can't you can't get the, the skin stays stretched. I, I think gotcha. it's a bit of that vibe in his face. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, these guys didn't have a good go, did they? I mean, Chet Baker, like, got gutter stomped. <laughs> Do you know yeah, about that? No. I think he owed some dude some money for some drugs and they he didn't pay up, so they put they knew he played trumpet and put his teeth on the gunner and stomped on his head. Oh, what? <laughs> he says in an interview somewhere, he's like, that was the, <laughs> what does he say? It's like... That was the biggest downfall of my career. <laughs> like, oh, you think? Yeah, no shit, man. <laughs> you play the trumpet, you got no teeth. What? <laughs> oh, okay, so on that. Yeah. Um, explain to me why it's so important to have teeth to play trumpet. Well, I mean, that's what the mouthpiece rests on. Right? Oh, right, so okay. Behind your lips are teeth, so mm. I guess it kind of keeps everything in place. I'm right. not sure if you can play with gums. You'd have to ask Chet. I think he got he got he got <laughs> he got teeth put back in. Okay. I believe and like relearned to play the trumpet. Oh shit! Some people like him better post gutter stomp. I think. Far out. Pretty hectic. That's heavy, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that was the biggest. <laughs> yeah. <Duh. so. laughs> my ma- my first major setback in my career. Yeah. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's cold. Oh, I'd be oh. worried if it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, um, but no, trumpet, yeah. It's a bitch of an instrument, kind of. Yeah. You know? yeah. How many trumpets have you got? Oh. <laughs> well, I've just never, I've never sold, I've never sold a trumpet I've owned except for one. I bought a piccolo trumpet uh, from someone, maybe Tim Crow. I bought a piccolo trumpet and then had it for a little while and then Simon Sweeney was selling his better piccolo trumpet, so I sold that one. And got another one. But other than that, I've never sold any of the instruments I've ever owned. So I've got the first trumpet I ever played, which was a Yamaha James Morrison model that my grandparents bought and my parents bought me for Christmas. And that's like, that was another reason I really got into it. I think I kind of got my own instrument. Okay. Used to busk every day at the Kaima Blower Holler on the holidays. Yeah, right. Awesome. Yeah. I've still got them all, every, every one. So how, how many? It's got to be like 10, I think. Okay. Plus like flugelhorns and piccolos and things like that. Yeah, right. Yep, including one insurance job that they never asked for back, which is kind of weird. So that's up in the cupboard too. Not an insurance. They're, pro- they're probably did, listening. And probably, you're going to get a call. Well, to be fair, I did drop. I did drop it. It got. <laughs> yes, da- it got yes, damaged. I can confirm he dropped. It. I did drop it. It got damaged. It yep. was no longer in professional. I told them what happened, and they just they said, "Yeah, no worries," but they just never asked for it. Right. Still up in the cupboard. Is there a like a go-to trumpet? Oh, that's so personal, I think. It's like, okay. yeah, like drums or guitars. Like, I mean, right now I'm playing um, I'm playing these Tembi instruments. So mm-hmm. Dave Tembi is, uh, owns Tembi instruments. And, and you're endorsed? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah endorsed I endorse by them. Yep. yep, should say that. Yep. I do, but I, I bought them. Okay. I paid for them, just in case anyone's wondering. Um, genuinely just love them. I went down to Melbourne and met Dave and uh, Matt Tubman I was talking to as another great lead player was, so I checked his out and I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I've always dug supporting Aussies and, you know, like yeah, in any cool. way you can and yep. local businesses. So I went down and met Dave and we had a chat and he asked what I want. <laughs> and I was like, well, well, Dave, I want. <laughs> I've I, been thinking about this for about yeah, 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> I want a trumpet that will sizzle through the middle of a big band, mm. you know, and sound like a Mack truck uh, and then, you know, when I put my other mouthpiece in, I can sit in a small group and sound like Chet Baker and be all fluffy and, and pretty. And he went, right. <laughs> well, I don't know if I can do it, but I'm going to give it a go. And if you don't like it, 
no harm, no foul. So we did. We went down to his shop and he had 30 different trumpets of his and I played them all and I'd make notes about each one and what I like, put a number on each one. And he took all this information and went, okay, you seem to like this and you seem to like this. You don't seem to like this. Um, and basically took all these things in and then came up with this trumpet and I played it and went, yeah, man. <laughs> that was I, it? And I asked, yeah, I, I got him to make another one too, just silver plated, but it's the same thing. Um, and I asked him what, what he did and he said, well, you said you wanted it to sizzle when you're like, you know, when you're giving it some and you said you want it to be really mellow. So I put a, a bigger bell, a slightly bigger bell on it that flares early. This is Sorry, this is a bit nerdy, but I think... No, this something. is cool. I'm fascinated. I'm <laughs> yeah. sure there's other people that are too. So there's a big... Big bell. And we went around like flicking bells in his warehouse. Like yep. Heaps of bells until we found one. I was like, oh, yeah, that rings nice for me okay. and what I want, want to do. So it's got a bigger bell, early flare. Um, so his, that's the mellow kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So when I'm playing, it's going to have this big, broad sound. And then he said, but then I had to work out how to make it sizzle. And obviously part of that's through the mouthpiece. Uh, when I put a smaller mouthpiece in, it's naturally going to be a bit brighter or whatever. But what he did was he he put the bell back on the lathe and and took out took out like thickness of the bell material mm-hmm. to make it lighter. So in other words, when I'm putting lots of energy through the horn, the end of it's lighter, it's vibrating, more, yeah, more yeah. reverberant, yeah. yeah. And so yeah, that plus a few other things that we tweaked on it, and but it was such a quite a genius, but simple idea, and you know he kind of said, "Now you're never going to find something that's going to do everything," but See what you think of this. And I was like, it's pretty close. Awesome, man. <laughs> and I love it. It's really, like, it's got its own character and, you know, I'm, I know it's made, put together by him and mm. I don't know, there's something special about that. I was there with him watching him build it and we were trying it out. And mm. Yeah, it's pretty special. I love them. That's great. Yeah. Now, just on the, oh, shit, <laughs> drop my iPad. <laughs> um, mute. Can you go to that kind of detail with mutes as well and go get custom-made mutes or just a mute a mute? You can, yeah. I mean, there's so many different mutes. Like okay. you, can, you can go into like, I've, I've actually lost one of mine. Actually, if anyone knows <laughs> where my uh, copper, my copper Joe Rowell is, is dented, it's got my name on it, it's no good to anyone, but I've lost it. So, yeah, they're expensive. I, for, oh, right. I forgot. Okay. I lost it the other day and went to buy another one. I was like, oh, yeah, damn it. How much? Oh, maybe I think they're like 300 bucks or something. Like enough, yeah, just for the music. It's because they're the copper ones. Okay. And they sound better, I think. Right. My opinion. Um, but, yeah, there's heaps of difference in mutes and, yeah, people prefer different things. Simon Sweeney got us on Aladdin. We all got into these solo mutes, S-O-U-L-O, and they're really great. There's like a cup of straight. I think they have a Harmon now too and a bucket, and they just play really in tune. So it's Okay. They sound great and if you're on a show in a section that makes it super easy because mm. usually that's half the battle is like four dudes of different mutes all trying to <laughs> trying yeah, to blend right. as one and Right. Yeah. It's really fascinating, eh? Yeah. Yeah. It's that's why I wanted to ask these questions because Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Um was driving my daughter home from swimming yesterday and was stuck in traffic. So I um found this YouTube you, yeah, this YouTube clip I can't remember what I typed in but anyway this guy came up and he just started talking a little bit about the history of the horn all the way up you know yeah. so we're in the car for about half an hour in the traffic 
and um, <laughs> um, they're talking about the you know the, the fugal horns and all that kind of stuff. Oh, and, like in the yeah, 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 conical French horns. Yeah, like yeah, all that stuff, and then up up to the long, really long trumpets and, and um, and then <laughs> we're having dinner and I said, oh, um, my friend's coming tonight for interview. And my daughter goes, oh, who's coming? I said, oh, his name's Dane. He's, he's a trumpet player. And she goes, is that who we're listening to in the car? <laughs> <laughs> I said, nah. <laughs> but we, she was fasc- as fascinated as yeah, I was he- hearing about all these trumpets and yeah. they get the sound and it is the crazy. vibration and, oh, man. It's like a science. Totally. Dave does all sorts of weird, like he, he's got this one that's diamond encrusted down in Melbourne that he just sort of like, so it's a brass trumpet, but he's coated in diamonds just to see how it would sound, like like micron, not real. You know. <laughs> no, no, yeah. yeah I was like, say. like tiny little micron, it's like a powder, it's black actually. Oh, right, okay. But there's another, the other thing he does, which is pretty interesting, cycroline. So like, you know, if you, if you bend metal, mm-hmm. it, there's all these tiny fractures on, yep. on a... What do you call it? Level micron? No. Oh, less Mol- than molecular microns. on a molecular level. level yeah. yeah. And so, obviously, to make a trumpet, you're hitting metal and bending it and bashing it around. Yep. And so he's got this cycloline thing that he does with his horns, where basically it super cools and then rapidly like yep warms up the metal. Not it doesn't get really hot, but it gets really cold and just goes between it rapidly. And what it does is slowly bring all the Fractured molecules kind yeah, of back into place. Case hardens, yeah, basically. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And so then essentially making the metal as if it were original, right? Reverberant yeah. self. Taking all the impurities out of it. Yeah, like, and just, yeah. That was super interesting, I thought. That's cool. Yeah, it makes sense too. It's one it of those things like, oh, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and that would give you a consistent instrument too, wouldn't it? Oh, if I'm, you have, <laughs> if I'm you, still on the other end of it. So. All right. <laughs> Okay, because yeah. if you had, if you had, um, again, just thinking, and I have this picture in my head of a, a trumpet being made. Yeah. Um, if you had a trumpet, maybe a modern modern day trumpet, a cheap modern day trumpet would yeah. be made from um, inferior metals, and it would. I can't imagine it being consistent, sounding consistent. It's like cheap symbols. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, and then, but then you got someone like, if a professional jumped on a crappy horn like that, they're going to make it sound good. But the reality is that, yeah, yeah, it's, they're not going to play it by choice. It's going to be, I understand. It's going to be hard work or, you know, if it's, like you said, if it's really crap metal, it's not going to hold a lot of sound. You're going to have to, it's all done with vibration. So if the metal's really dense or shit and it's not vibrating, but that great player might have a different way of holding it type. Yeah. To make it work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or just you just gotta work. Fascinating, just man. gotta work harder, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a weird I mean, like it's kinda of weird when you think about it. It's like, oh, what do yeah. you do for a living? And blow into a piece of pipe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty strange when you break it break it down to like the mac- yeah, yeah. <laughs> micro level. Yeah, that's it. Mm. All right, that's that's cool, man. Thanks for, for sharing that stuff with me. It was like a lesson. Nah, that's good. Yeah, that's cool. It's I like really cool. Too. That's great. Um, let's talk about some of the other gigs that you've um, been involved with. Now, tell me about the Ministry of Sound Orchestra. Oh, that was that was cool. So that was like a that was at the Opera House, and it was they put together an orca, like a big orchestra, and we just played all the like all these hits of Ministry of Sound, which had been arranged for string orchestra, 
and just did from that. the like the old annuals. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I think, but I think it's not just one album or anything. Like I think, oh, it's just, okay, you know, there was a bit of Pete Tong in there and like all these, okay. you know, all the hits kind of thing. The, yeah, gotcha. And and they put it all together and then featured all these uh, singers, you know, like Connie from uh, Sneaky Sound System okay. got up and sung one of them and Ilan from the Pop Bellies got up and did one and like featured all these classic sort of electronic music, dance music acts and, yeah, that was pretty epic. Watching, That's cool, yeah. Watching the Opera House turn into a dance party. Dance party yeah. It's definitely right down my alley. But it's funny because you got like <laughs> some quite serious orchestral like string players on the other side too. Right. <laughs> Being all very serious and <laughs> I'm over here going, yeah, this is sick. It's a big party. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I love this shit. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um, you played with Tim Minchin last year. I did, yeah. Yep. That was another incredible, I reckon that could be one of the, one of the best things I've done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so right. So good. Just, yep. And, yeah. and Jack Housden was on that. Jackie was on it. Yep. You had, you had a podcast with him. Yep. Um, Jack Housden, Tim, obviously, Sarah Belkner on keys and MD, Ben Vanderwall on the drums, mm-hmm. uh, James Hazelwood on the bass, Ben Girton on trombone, Matt Odenyong on the saxes, and myself on trumpet. I don't think I've missed anyone. And an incredible touring crew of the best humans you've ever met. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was epic. And it was like 10 weeks around Australia and New Zealand. Like, oh, Jack Jack put it really well, actually. Jack Housden were on a on a flight one day, I think from Sydney to Perth or something, one of those long ones. And the the Virgin Lady was like, "Oh, you guys, you're you're in a you're in a band or something? Like, what are you what are you doing?" <laughs> and this is about three quarters of the way through the tour, and we're all just having the greatest time. And Jack goes, "We're we're on a we're on a holiday masquerading as a theatre tour." <laughs> 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 and he couldn't have said it any better. Like that's exactly how it felt. Yeah, we'd go do these shows, like these great shows. And Tim's such a genius and so creative, but then so lovely and generous with his time as well. Like, you know, go out and sink wines and talk shit, and have, you know what yeah, I mean, and yeah. joke around. And yeah, he's a legend and such a genius. Like quite an intimidating dude to be around sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> right. Just, his yep. brain is just yes, you can see, going a hundred miles an hour all the time. Yep. But yeah, that was it. That was awesome. Sold out to uh and we were doing like oh, like six nights at the State Theatre or whatever and six nights at the Palais in Melbourne, like big pretty big venues sold out. Every show was sold out. Um and we did New Zealand as well. Um and then yeah, the, everything was perfect, incredible. Mm-hmm. Um and on very very suddenly and sadly on the last day of the tour, um, some of your listeners might have heard of Greg, Greg Weaver, who was um, doing front of house sound as well as tour managing and sort of stage managing, doing a lot of mm. a lot of jobs very, very well. Um, he tragically had a heart attack and passed away, mm. which is just like, yeah, it was really heavy because we just, you know, I think the last thing I said at the airport was like, man, thanks for the most incredible 10 weeks. And he said, pleasure mate we'll do it again didn't even think about it you know and I went off and did a gig and got this phone call sort of halfway through that night it was a Jewish wedding they were smashing plates inside and Ben called me and was like man I need to tell you something I was like what, what are you talking about <laughs> it's fucking really heavy very very cruel um, but yeah brought certainly brought everyone together real quick to mm. you know we just sort of went from cloud nine fucking crashing back down to earth yeah, that was super tragic. Yeah, sorry to hear that, man. Uh, mm. 
but we've got the um, we've got a comeback tour, like an encore tour coming up with Tim. Okay. So that'll be it'll be tough without Greg, but it'll be so nice to to be back with everyone and sort of because it's weird when something like that happens and you're all together, you can support each other and yep. you're with each other or whatever. But yep. we just all left, you know, and everyone was kind of already down and out. And, yeah, and the then something post-tour like that happens blues and, and you're like, you can't even, you know, can't even make sense of it all. But yeah, that was. There's been been some super sad losses in the in our industry over the last. Yeah, we just had while. had one last week. Yeah, Natasha. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's super, yeah, yeah, it's rough. But um, I guess the the one nice thing you always see when something like that happens is how we've got a really good community yep. in the music industry and whenever it counts, everyone comes out of places you didn't even know, you know what I mean? And people, yep. people you didn't think were even in town anymore and everyone just shows up in f- with full strength and solidarity and yeah. comes together. I think that's really, really beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's like a nice... A nice thing to see, even the other night, like last night at the Bushfire concert. Yep. It's like, oh, yeah, man, there's like such an incredible group of people. Yeah. Every, everyone's got each other's backs, you know. There's no, yep. it's not really any bullshit or, yep. yeah. Um, you also played with um, Hugh Jackman last year on yeah. this tour. How was that? Man, honestly, it's hard. Like, it's hard to take it all in, like, as a, tr- like a trumpet player of all things. There's not. It's not like there's a long list of tours to do. Yeah. And I've never really done them before. A couple here and there. But yep. to get three seriously massive tours, like the Tim Minchin one I was mm. on Cloud Nine, I was like, this is huge. Mm. Like, And then that finished and you're doing the thing where you're trying to get yourself back to reality and thinking, oh, well, that was amazing and like you got lots of great memories but sort of, you know back to doing the weddings and corporates and making sure. it work and yep. making a living. Yep. Um, and then similar thing happened where I kind of get asked by this um, booker from Melbourne um, to put together, uh, to come and do Hugh Jackman. And I'm like, shit, <laughs> that's huge. Was that all of Australia? Or? And, and, and uh, it was supposed to be New Zealand, but they ended up getting locals, I think. Okay. Yeah. There's only a couple of shows over there. Okay. So, yeah, it was all of Australia, six weeks, um, with a all-Australian big band and orchestra. Mm. It was something, like some of the most incredible. Like I got to sit next to Paul Panicki, who's arguably one of the greatest trumpet players, you know, on the planet, but to come out of Australia as well. Mm-hmm. And one of the loveliest dudes. And we just, man, that was school for me. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Sitting next to one of your heroes or your legends, you know, and just trying to again take it all in just like man this is cool mm. and then on the tour oh, on that tour obviously there was a I had a I don't know if you saw the maybe not there was like a moment where everyone gets a turn at doing a solo but you don't know who's going to call oh right so <laughs> we, we knew it was going to happen he said oh, I like to have a bit of fun so there's a bit where we break it down and have a jam and I'll walk around and I'll pick someone at random you'll never know who it's going to be <laughs> <laughs> right and so you know that that doesn't scare me. Again, like I'm always all for it. I'm like, oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, lots of fun. And um, so, first night happens, and everyone's really freaking out. First night, <laughs> it's like everyone's sweat- <laughs> everyone's sweating, and, and Hugh's, yeah. Hugh's walking around the band, you know, just eyeing everyone off. <laughs> no one knows who's. <laughs> and the string players are 
proper shit themselves because they're like, what do you mean a solo? Like, <laughs> I don't improvise. I've never, or yeah. like, I've never done a solo. Like, uh. <laughs> they're really free. They're sweating. And um, anyway, it's not me. But then after a few days, I think I became Facebook friends with the musical director or something like that, Patrick. And um, randomly he said, and we hadn't spoken a lot, but he kind of came up and was sitting at catering and he goes, so you're a singer? I was like, y- yeah, I sing a bit. How, how do you, why, how do you know that? Why? <laughs> why, why, are you, why are you asking me this? And he's like, oh, no reason, but you, you're a singer. I noticed on Facebook. I was like, oh, yep, yeah, I sing a bit, yeah. <laughs> and he kind of said with a smoke, he's like, oh, maybe we could get you to do some singing on the show. And I was like, ah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, you know, kind of joke, yeah, maybe, maybe. He goes, no, seriously, would you feel comfortable? I was like, still kind of half, I'm like, are we joking? I'm, ter- I'm also terrified because you're the musical director. And, it, and he's like, yeah, no, yeah. I said, maybe if it's something we organised, like if I knew what I was doing, he's Okay, we'll talk about it in Adelaide. <laughs> so in my mind, we got maybe four or five shows or something till Adelaide. So s- quietly in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, I don't think he's going to pick me because I think, I think I might have this like little thing going on with the musical director. We're going to organise this <laughs> like we're going to do a different thing. So I wasn't as nervous. Mm. I'm sitting there <laughs> and it was maybe the third night in Sydney. I'm sitting there with my arms crossed. Genuinely pretty relaxed, like thinking, that's not going to be me. I'm doing this. We're organising this other thing. <laughs> <laughs> and he he walks over and I'm, I'm sort of stitching up everyone else going, it's going to be you, it's going to be you. He walks up and he goes, hey, you on, Dane? <laughs> should, have, should have seen my face. I was like, shit, shit, <laughs> shit. Because <laughs> I, I hadn't, you know, normally I'd be sitting there going, well, if he picks you, what am I going to play? Gonna do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, he picks me. He's like, Dane's this trumpet player, whatever, yada, yada. He goes, Dane's going to seduce you all with the trumpet. Get, go and get him. So do a plunger solo. This is this is fine. I can do a solo. That's cool. It's like still a shock, but yeah. not too much of a stress. I do this trumpet solo and he kind of whi- he's winding me up. He's like, come on, mate, come on. You know, wind it up. And to be honest, it had only been maybe like, not that long. And I was like, oh, come on, give, give me a minute. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. like, give me a minute. I'm just, yeah. I'm just getting started. Yeah, like, yeah. spotlight's on me, man. Come on. <laughs> I was in my brain. I was like, trying to pace myself. Like, this is, I haven't got there yet. And he's like winding me up. So it's like, all right. And everyone, you know, claps or whatever. And uh, then he goes, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. And immediately I'm like, oh, f-. sorry. You're yeah. about to swear. Oh, fuck. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he goes, hold on. And he turns to the audience, he goes, not many people know, uh, sorry, he goes, Dane, Dane doesn't know this, but uh, I might have Googled him before tonight's show. And uh, not only is Dane, you know, a wonderful trumpet player, but uh, turns out he also sings. <laughs> and pull, <laughs> pulls, pulls a freaking microphone out of his pocket, <laughs> standing right next to me, and I'm looking at him straight in his eyes and he's looking at me, biggest smile, just going like, yep. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm out of like you, my lover. <laughs> anyway, he goes, and so I was thinking, I bet no one in the Kudos Bank Arena has ever played trumpet and sung at the same time. And I'm going, oh, where are you going with this? And he goes, and so, you know, I reckon, I reckon we should make that record. 
what do you think? And of course, like I said, I'm kind of up for anything. And at this point, you know, <laughs> what are you going to say? Hugh Jackman's there with a microphone in your face telling everyone you can sing. It's like, well, I guess I can sing now. And so <laughs> I'm like, yeah, righto. All right. And he goes, you want to give it a go? I was like, yep, let me get my groove on. <laughs> so just like, give me a second. And so I'm thinking about what the hell I can do. It's just like a groove. I think I I started singing uh, It Don't Mean a Thing, if it ain't got that swing, which just happened to fit over it and it worked kind of well. And then, again, it was one of those moments where I don't really remember what happened, but I remember it in full detail. Mm. And it just went from this point to me sitting in my chair and not really remembering how it happened. But <laughs> I, I started, after I sung the head a couple of times, I started just playing, I scattered. I scattered something and then played what I scat and then and then did the same thing and was going like, and played on the trumpet. Oh, cool, man. I was just doing call and response with myself. And he's kind of going like, what everyone's just not really sure what's going on, including myself. I get to the end of it. It all went pretty, I was pretty happy. Like it all just kind of hanging on by adrenaline, I think. I was like, put the trumpet down, just sitting there like, uh, and he runs off and does the rest of the song and then comes up after and he's like, mate, that was awesome. That was awesome. He, he, what do you say? He goes, is there anything else I need to know about you? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. You're stealing the show here. Like, are you going to LA tomorrow? But but he says, he goes, don't tell me you can dance, mate. If you can dance, I am. Yeah, know, yeah. I'm a, he's just, you know, yeah, yeah, he's no. stitching it yeah. up. And I go, just as a joke, like, off. I just go, nah, I can't dance. And I just said, I can do a mean worm though, you know. And his eyes lit up and he looked at me and I went, oh, fuck. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 no. And he looks at me grinning. He's like, yeah. Yeah, I was like, uh, nah, nah, nah. And he points to the front of the stage and he goes, who wants to see Dane do the worm? No way. <laughs> and I'm going, There's, there was one moment where I looked at him really seriously and I go, are you sure? Like This is in the middle of the show, like 30,000 But you're up there. for anything, anytime, I mate. am, 100%, yeah. 100%. Yeah. So he goes, I, there was like a, just a second, I was like, are you sure? And he gave me the eyes like, yeah. So I went down the front of the stage, took my suit jacket off. Again, <laughs> again, this kind of just happened. I'm not sure how. I swung it around, <laughs> threw it at him, <laughs> and, and immediately thought, oh, shit, I just threw my jacket at you, Jackman. <laughs> Probably not a worm. <laughs> he caught it and I did the worm. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And, and then he threw my jacket back. I went and sat down. I think I missed half the end of the song because I was just sitting there going like, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Oh, man, it was wild. I think that could be like, that's one of the like top 10 funnest, yep. just funnest moments of my career. And Hugh is a friggin' legend too. Like yep. actually the world's nicest guy. Yeah. Actually Noel Gallagher said on the last two we were talking about, he goes, is he as fucking, is he as annoyingly nice as he is on the telly? <laughs> he just seems so nice. just want to punch him in the face. <laughs> I was like, yeah, pretty much. He's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> but you know he's Wolverine and he'll just chop you up. That's so right, shut up, yeah. Noel. You know? yeah. <laughs> no, he's really nice. He's a legend. Yeah, yeah it's cool. Um, right, let's talk, because I said at the start, we'll come back to the Noel Gallagher U2 thing. Yeah. Um, God, it's a big year. So was, weird. Yeah, it's weird to hear yourself. <laughs> Even now. Yeah, I'm no. I, out, I'm like, yeah. God, I mean, when you sent me your, your – I mean, I, I did see – a lot of that stuff pop up on your Facebook as it happened. Yeah. And I go, man, this this is fantastic. Yeah. Um, I mean, you too. Like, 
<laughs> yeah, um, it's pretty intense. Yeah, I mean, did you do you guys get to hang with those guys, or is it like a little bit, just a little bit, a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They keep them pretty, pretty like yeah secure. Yeah, because there's a lot of people on it on a tour like that. Uh, yeah, They're I'm touring sure, like I can imagine you know, maybe 200 people or something just putting everything together. Yeah, you know, there's like a there's like a conservation specialist whose full-time job it is to like, you know, no plastic cups, we have water built. How do we save waste? <laughs> it's like okay, gotcha. all these jobs that you don't think exist and right. they're touring these people. And right. But, yeah, we, we had a we had an after party and a couple of chances to meet them. It's super lovely. It's But it is next level. You can see how, yeah. you know, we're rolling into hotels and there's like 30 people out the front ready and you're like, how do the – I didn't even know where I was staying, you know, till I looked at the run sheet today. How do these people know we're staying here? And I still don't know that. I don't know. These super fans, they must just like put one at every hotel and then be like, oh, they're here. Oh, right. I don't know, but it's crazy. They, they wait there all night. Yeah. I went out to get some cocktails one night. It's like one thirty in the morning and they're out the front with their posters like hanging out. Wow. It's intense. A bit weird, but. Uh, yeah. Good yeah. on. So mm. people have their things. <laughs> but, yeah, that was. Oh, that tour. First show was in Auckland, Mount Smart. Mm -hmm. We did two there. Um, and so we flew over. Uh, I did a Melbourne Cup gig in Queensland, so I flew. And actually I watched the, the documentary on the plane over, the Oasis documentary, because mm -hmm. um, I thought, you know, do a bit of research before I meet him just to, I don't know. I always do things like that. I think yeah. Yep. If you're going to be spending a bit of time with people, it's probably good to. Know. I think it's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Suss it out and know yeah. what not to say, especially with, yep. you know, cats like that. They've lived a lot of life and yep. a lot of stories. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and so I watched it on the plane and got a bit of a idea about who he was and not, I mean, I already knew it a lot, but. I get you. Just to see from that personal level and, and stuff. Um, got to Auckland, met the lovely Carl Mackey for the first time. Um, and he's a proper legend. Mm. It's kind of like I'm at the I'm at the hotel bar. You want to come for a beer? Yep. It's like bam, just got along. Awesome, sweetest dude. Incredible saxophone player. Mm -hmm. Great jazz player. Right. And just all around nice guy. Mm. And uh, yeah, and then we met the bone player. Um, did our first sound check. Slash oh, rehearsal. was Jeremy Stanley playing drums? Mm. No. Oh. It was uh, Chris Sharrick. Ah, right. Yeah. Chris Sharrick on drums. So he was, he's one of the original drummers. I'm mm -hmm. not sure which order, but I think maybe he was at the end of the band, toward the end. Like, uh, okay. Yeah. The, yeah. But uh, Gem, the original guitarist. Mm -hmm. um, oh, Oasis players. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Heavy. <laughs> Right. Um, and also Russ, the bass player. Because I say Jeremy Stanley because he played drums in Noel's solo stuff. Yeah. Oh, the, the, the original High Flying Bird stuff. I'm not sure if it was that. Cause I, I just or or just when it was Noel maybe. Just when it was Noel, yeah. I believe. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. I'll fact check that and then yeah, I might I don't cut. Know <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Cut the rubbish. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it's... And, yeah, Russ, the bass player as well, mm -hmm. he – actually, that's a funny story. At one point on the tour, toward the end, Russ is like, you know, what do you got What do you got coming up when you get back home and got anything interesting? And I was like, nah, man, just like 
back to weddings and corporates playing Valerie, you know the deal. He goes, Valerie? I was like, yeah, 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 you know that Amy Winehouse tune. He goes, know it. I wrote it. Oh, what? <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, he's like, me, me and my band, the Zootons. Oh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, what? Yeah, so like what I meant is like, you know, it's a great song. Yeah. I just, we played at weddings a lot. He's like, oh, that's all right, don't no. <laughs> Get it all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So funny. Yeah. Oh, man. I, nearly, I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, I wrote it. Wow. <laughs> my band. I was like, oh, yeah, of course. It's a cover. Great. <laughs> Shit. Just get my foot out of my mouth, <laughs> mate. What are the odds, though? Oh, I, I know. mean, seriously. I know. But even like, the, even I, just saying that, like, <laughs> I could have just said, "Oh yeah, just weddings and corporates." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, that was that was a that was a good moment. Yeah. Um, actually, first first day was pretty funny because Noel can be pretty hard to read and quiet. Okay. And we we arrive and obviously we're the only two guys there that haven't been there before because they've, okay. they've been doing that tour for five years or something. Right. So he. Obviously he knows we're there, but he hasn't said anything to us all morning. And we get called for sound check and mic check and first rehearsal. And we start running the stuff and it's like 35 degrees in Auckland. Black stage, no roof. Yep. We're cooking. And New Zealand sun's brutal oh, too. Yeah, it looked proper hot. And yep. like you can feel the You feel it burning your skin. Your skin. Yep. Yeah. And so we, I think we played about, we're supposed to run the whole thing, we played a few songs. He's <laughs> just like... Fuck doing this. I <laughs> just walked off. Oh no, he goes, fuck doing this for two hours. <laughs> just walks off. Yeah. And everyone else is just kind of shrugs, like, yeah, probably normal or whatever. And me and Carl are like, is, is that it? I just turned the bone play. We're like, is that it? And he's like, yeah. I was like, no more rehearsal? Nah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so the next, the next time we played together was the gig. Right. I mean, it was all great. Everything was cool. We'd all done our homework, but yeah. it was just funny. And then, I mean, after that, we bumped into him. He kind of comes up and he's like, what's your name? It's like, Dane. Fucking Dane. <laughs> Dane. <laughs> I've got my hand out, by the way, like waiting to shake his hand. He's just like, what kind of name's that? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, uh, uh, You'd have to ask my mum that one minute. That's what I think I said. Yeah. I was like, I don't know, like. Great Dane, you know, and he's like, Dane. I was like, yep, that's my name. And then I just went, well, nice to meet you, Noel. <laughs> he shook my hand. He's like, yeah, nice to meet you, mate. Was he, do you think he was stitching you up? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, he's I'm a good. genius. Yeah, yeah. Well, awesome. well yeah. I think so. I think yeah. it, I found it hilarious. That's cool. And actually a few of the band members came up and they're like, oh, like, that, that's like, don't be, I think they were worried I was going to be offended you know, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it was hilarious because I, I, I don't know, I'm not easily intimidated. I was just yeah, like cool. looking at him. I was like, this is funny. I don't know what to do though. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the band members was like, mate, he spoke to you. That, that's a long time. That means he likes you. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, we spoke to you that for that long. Doesn't matter what he said. You, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> that was funny. That's cool. But it's that sense of humor, like the Manx, you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. That, they have a really like, it's good. They're all just taking the piss out of each other the whole yep. time. It's a very, yep. very fun time. That's awesome. Yeah. But pretty, a few of, mo- man, some serious moments on that tour of just like, we'd go off for a song and you'd be playing. Wonderwall or? Nah. Um. Just pause because I should really know the name of this song. It's just blanking. Oh, Sadie can wait. No, it's too late. Come back. Oh, happy age. Don't, Don't look back, back in anger. anger. There it is. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, a few massive moments of just like, yeah, we'd come off and he did Don't Look Back in Anger and 
just like, especially first show in Auckland, the loudest crowds in the world. You know, what I mean? you know, they're so loud, and that's not like eighty thousand. That's a smaller yeah, yeah, yeah. stadium, and it's so loud. You got the whole crowd screaming this song, and you just, I don't know. I was there going like, man, these dudes are history. Like this yeah. is royalty, yeah. <laughs> rock and roll royalty, yeah. the real deal. Yeah, and you kind of outside yourself just looking at this thing going, man, this is special. Mm. Me and Carl just like, kind of had the nod. We're like, yeah, man, wow, man this, this is, is sick. Yeah. But, yeah, and that was great. Probably played uh, however many shows it was. But, again, just took it all in and we get wristbands and go like every night we'd go or I'd go watch with Carl the whole rest of the show because once we do support so we finish and, and then we're just free. Yeah, So right. we'd go out into the pit and I don't know. I never wanted to just go back to the room and think, Beers, it was like, man, probably never going to be on a tour like this big ever again. So I, yep. went, I watched every show oh, from wow. out the front, all of it. And it was mind-blowing. Like you 2 they brought it every night. Incredible. And that screen and the, yep. whole, the whole picture was like so clever, just the way that they put it on mm. with that just put telling the story on this, on this massive screen, making it less about them. Yeah, you know, in their older age or whatever, whatever reason, but it was just because the state was fairly minimal stage, eh? Just the four of them, just four of them on the stage. Yeah, and like you don't really see them, like they don't really project them that much yep. in the show. It's all, it's like a giant piece of theatre, and it's yeah. so clever, and especially in the age of screens, you know. Yeah, every, everyone's screens and in ears. Oh man, hey. and it was so funny. You're out there and you're looking at this huge screen. And all you can see is a, a sea of these tiny little screens everywhere. Yeah. It's like yeah. you're just thinking like, I don't know, put it down, just watch it. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to look shit on your phone anyway. That's it. Like, I get and, it. And I get they, it. The first thing you yeah, want to Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I you know, the th- I don't think people realise like when they hold that phone up, it's an audio podcast, but I'm holding the phone <laughs> above my head and say you two is in front of me. Yeah. Where are you going to look? I know. Are you two in front of you? You're going to look at your, make sure you got your screen right. May as well stream. So you're missing, yeah. you're missing the whole fucking point of it, I eh? Know. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but that man, yeah, that yeah. was epic. Yeah. Oh, big year. Yeah, man. And the thing is, like, uh, I, d- I think I told you earlier, I do a bit of, of teaching. Mm-hmm. I do. I teach at a private school, um, mm-hmm. which I, I love, and I really like teaching there. So it's a tough. It was a tough year because I'm trying to juggle everything without missing and letting down my students. Yep. Um, and so... Were you on, coming back? On all of these tours... Oh, wow. We'd get maybe one day off a week and pretty much every city where it was possible, I'd fly back, teach my 13 students in one day from like 8 to 3.30 and then go back to the airport, have some free beers in the, in the Virgin Lounge and then <laughs> fly back and, have yeah... It was a big year and I did manage to make it work somehow. Even like six weeks of the Joshua Tree tour, I didn't I didn't miss one week of teaching. So Man, that's awesome. I don't like letting people down. That's great. Anyone. Man. It's like kinda of like what I was saying before. Like mm. I really like teaching the kids and mm. you know, obviously you want to go and do these big amazing gigs, but also, you know, that's that's another part of my job and what I do and it's it's a very important part. Mm. Like, yeah. It's good to give back especially with how much so many people have given to me over the years. So something I'm pretty passionate about. Fucking cool story, man. Yeah. 
Really cool. Yeah. I can't wait to talk to you in another 10 years. Oh, see what man. you've been up to. It might be all the same, bro. <laughs> if, you can put, put the, if you can fit me in, man. Uh, if you can fit me in. <laughs> it might be all over now. Yeah, yeah. This might be, I've peaked, surely. <laughs> nah, never, man. Honest, after, uh, after the table, well, that's a pre- I remember saying like, yeah, yeah right. Nothing. Yeah. Can't, can't do anything. Bigger. Yeah. You know, that's, this is weird. This doesn't happen. I'm going to yeah. take it in. Yep. Never expect anything like it. But I don't know, these crazy things come up and then. Yep. But at the end of it, I'm always like, well, if that if it never happens again, I know that I'm. You've just I had just, th- I went, you've had three or four lifetimes of it man, almost, you know. I know. I rocked up. I played my ass. You know, like I did the best I could. I practiced my ass off. Yeah. Leading into it, just did my job. Hopefully, showed up on time. Hopefully, didn't piss anyone off. You yep. know. Yep. And took it all in and had a great time. Yep. Only missed one lobby call on the Tim. Yeah. <laughs> it was on the Tim. Uh, last night of the tour, I had the I had the party in my room. So yeah, yeah, the whole band and everyone came back to my room yeah. in this tiny little hotel room at, at the Star on the Gold Coast. I think it was. And this was the same night. The morning after, I got my mini bar bill was like one hundred and sixty dollars. <laughs> you know, funnily enough, it's not what you think it was. It was one hundred and sixty dollars worth of toasted cheese sandwiches that I'd ordered to my room for the. <laughs> For the, for, 14, the lot. for the 14 people that were in oh, there. Right. And anyway, someone had kicked my phone charger out of the wall as well as the fact that there's quite a bit of wine and tequila consumed and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, that was it. My phone went dead and I tapped out and my alarm <laughs> never went off because I wake up for all alarms, you know what I mean? I never yep. sleep through it. But my phone had died so I was ruined. And then something like Michael and Ben just bang on the door. It was the last day, so okay, could have been worse. I'll let you off, but uh, well, I made the <laughs> I made the important people van. Yeah, yeah. So the the crew vans had all left for the airport, and Michael's like, "If you hurry, you you can come with us as a spare seat." And so I'm in the I'm in the back of the van between Michael, the manager, and and Maz. <laughs> I'm sitting there with my arms folded. Minchin gets in, and he goes, "Labori." What the fuck are you doing in my car? <laughs> I was like, my phone died and I missed my alarm. It's reeking of yeah. the night before. But yeah. that was fun. Yeah. They were all very lovely and forgiving. <laughs> that was, uh, and Greg Weaver sent a message saying, I've always wanted to leave a member behind and I finally got to do it. <laughs> I left two point whatever the percentage was of the brass section behind the hotel. <laughs> he goes, I don't even feel bad about it. <laughs> oh, man. That's, yeah. awesome. That's awesome. That was fun. Looking forward to the comeback. It's going to be so good to see you, Ryan. That's great. A couple yeah. of weeks. That's really cool. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like I said, you can you can add to your start of your 2020 that you're the first trumpet player. First horn ever. player or first trumpet player? Horn player. Hey. On the Gig Life podcast. Oh, well, mate. it's That's it's, fucking special. You know that, eh? It's pretty. Oh, I'm, I'm chuffed. <laughs> but, you know, I've set the bar low. So, <laughs> well, you know, you, there's so many, you know, there's so many guys. So Yeah, yeah. There's much funnier people than me. That's for sure. No, you, you've done well. <laughs> it's been great. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks yeah. for having us. No worries, man. It's huge. Dane Laborie, thanks so much, bro. Thank you for having me. No worries, man. Thanks to everyone everyone along the way who helped me do all this crazy shit in this life, this lucky life I get to live. Get to, I mean, 
It's the dream. I get to yeah. make a living playing music, doing what I love. It's awesome. It's all I ever wanted. Congratulations, so. bro. It's really cool. Thanks, man. No Cheers. Worries. Cheers, Dane. See you, everyone. See Bye. you, bro. See you, bro. Nothing left to see